Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham and Bose, helping you stay connected throughout what's been a crazy year, but you'd have to say a quite brilliant one in terms of Formula One. Obviously, the whole world has been impacted to varying degrees by coronavirus. And the fact that Formula One were able to put on 17 races in a very short space of time, 23 weeks, is quite astonishing and something I think the sport can be incredibly proud of. And there's been some huge highs and a few lows in that time. And I'm delighted that I was able to look back at those moments with my next guest on In The Pink, Johnny Herbert. And Johnny and I talk, um, well, about lots of moments through the season, but particularly about Roman Grosjean's accident and the implications of it for both Roman and for the sport as a whole. And we compare and contrast from Johnny's accident back in 1988, a near-fatal collision, which he had to use every ounce of his tenacity and strong will to come back from and ultimately race in Formula One. I want to say that I found this chat incredibly moving. Johnny was really open and honest, and despite having known him for a long time, over a decade, I found out a few things about him during this podcast that I didn't know before. Um, He's a wonderful man, a great human being, and I'm delighted that he's here as my guest on In The Pink. Hello, Johnny Herbert. I've missed you. It's been a while since we've done a race together, actually, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. What a funny old year it's been. But uh, yeah, good to see your face. Good to be talking to you and good to be talking to everybody else. Exactly. Well, the chequered flag has fallen. The Abu Dhabi sand has settled on the season. What have you made of 2020? Well, I think it's been a good year, hasn't it? Considering where we were at the beginning of the season when we sort of went to Australia for the first one, that didn't happen. And then, to be honest, F1, Liberty Media, Chase Carey and all his crew sort of getting it all together. And then you've got to sort of say the same thing with the teams, being able to sort of get everything running up and running when we went to those two back-to-back Austria races. And then the season's been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we got another another championship added to Lewis's uh, uh, multiple wins. Uh, so that's brilliant, equaling obviously Michael Schumacher. But it's been that mid-pack battle that's been fantastic as well. So the racing has been, I think, brilliant. 
And I guess it's no real surprise when you consider some of the characters that we work with on a daily basis, the precision to yeah. which they work, that actually they were able to keep the show on the road because if anyone was going to be able to keep live sport going, it was Formula One. And the dedication, I think, has been hugely impressive when you consider that only three drivers on the grid in the whole space of the season tested positive for COVID. Everyone yeah. has been incredibly careful. When you consider how much we travel, how many flights we're getting on and how many people we're mixing with. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty astonishing, I would say. It has. I, we had some mechanics as, as well that had it, but I think typically with, with Formula One and the speed that uh, everything goes on the track, but basically how quickly they sort of, you know, ch have to change their mentalities to improve their cars. It was their ability to react quickly to when, as you said, the drivers had the Corona, but also their, their, some of their crew. So it was, it was brilliant to see that when the pressure was on, they were able to deal with it in a very positive way, which allowed us to get the whole way through, through the season. So it's, it's been brilliant to see that's been brilliant to be a part of it and actually be on the ground and see it happening in front of you because I think it's you know I think it's made the sport you know more popular because of everybody seeing how they've been able to deal with everything yeah so true and what about on track incidents dramas racing the, the some of the incredible overtakes I mean we've seen it all this season I have to say going back to some of those old circuits certainly brought back. Yeah some great racing didn't it yeah they did and i'll tell you what was nice as well it was nice hearing drivers saying they're looking forward to that that was someone like charles or max or even lewis as well lando so it was really good that those guys were going to tracks that they'd never really sort of raced at uh in in even in their categories coming through and they're as you said they're old school they're quite narrow there's not that much runoff but that's the challenge and they were up for the challenge when we went to places like Magello, which was fantastic, actually having a finally having a Grand Prix, a modern Formula One Grand Prix at that brilliant Magello circuit, they thoroughly enjoyed that. And then we went to the Algarve and did something, you know, in Portugal, which everybody thoroughly enjoyed as well. You know, a track was going up and down all over the place and they did enjoy that. And that's, I think, what's good about Formula One this year, because it's been different very very different you know and then in the latter part of the season we only got to talk about Bahrain we did the normal Bahrain racetrack and then in race two we did this sort of ovalish type uh, track as well some people are going oh it doesn't look so interesting but my 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 did it sort of make the racing brilliant and we had a, a first time winner in Sergio Perez as well so again all these changes made the racing brilliant it's funny, isn't it? Because I know that many people, as you touched on, were sceptical about uh, some yeah. of the decisions being made. It kind of felt like we were just clambering to get any racetrack on the calendar that we could logistically um, be able to do. But actually, the upshot of it was incredibly positive yeah. in terms of the racing. Do you think in some way that um, the modern circuits, the modern calendar has been somewhat sanitised and... I don't want to say dumbed down, but it's changed the style of racing. It's 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 like anything. I think it's just different than what it was. I think, you know, like I wanted to we talk about that Bahrain, you know, we've been going there for many, many years. They know it like the back of their hand. The engineers know exactly what's going to happen with the tyre at a given lap. But then when they went to that short circuit, it was a bit of an unknown. And unknowns are brilliant. And unknowns normally bring up a surprise 
in a result. And that's exactly what we got. So maybe it's something down the line. If we can, you know, if we do these back to backs again, maybe we do a short circuit at Silverstone, for example, you know, just, you know, spice it up a little bit. Was it an issue? No, it wasn't. Did he make the racing better in many respects? Absolutely. So what's the problem of actually changing a racetrack that everybody's used to, everybody maybe tests at, and then you say, no, actually, no, we're going to turn right, not left, what you're used to. Because I think, you know, the drivers, as I said before, enjoyed it because I think it was just a different, different challenge. In the Pink and Bows want to support you in whatever way we can during these uncertain and constantly evolving times. So we're giving away more noise-cancelling headphones to bring some added calm to your life. To win the headphones, just tag in the three friends you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Always include the hashtag Bose, and those headphones could be yours. Good luck and stay connected. Now let's talk about Bahrain One and that hugely dramatic crash. You know, all our hearts were in our mouths. Um, I've certainly never seen anything like it. I'm sure you haven't either. What did you make of what happened with Roman Grosjean at the start of the race? Uh, well, I've, well, I've seen fires before in my sort of early days of racing. So it was it was something for me that I, I had seen before. But I think it was just the dramatic way that Roman sort of Roman's car uh, basically sort of split that armco and went through the armco and then the car splitting in half. But um before that all happened, it was quite funny because obviously he was racing with a bunch of cars in front. I know Danny Kvyat was at his side, his, his right. And he could see there was a pack in front. And he knew that if he kept going in the, in the, in the way that he was, the direction he was going, he was going to get blocked in. So he could see on the right-hand side, it was clear. But of course, as he's moved over to that right-hand side, he's got Kvyat at the side who's saying, I'm not moving out of the way. So then that clash happens. And of course, then you see him sort of rocking himself into, into that barrier. And just wow. And the wow is because the way the safety has come on nowadays. You know, if that was back in, in my racing day, for sure, I don't think, you know, Roman would have walked away from it. Absolutely not. But I think with the, something I was always not liking, I remember Martin Brundle was the same, we didn't really like the halo but that halo really did save Roman's life. So it's brilliant that it's there. And the lovely thing about that halo, as I said, I didn't like it before. I don't look at it anymore. I don't really notice it on the race car itself and the racing is carrying on. So yeah, that's a brilliant thing that that was able to, to save Roman. And what a spectacular crash it was. But again, it goes back to how the FIA, um, the medical car that follows the, the cars around them that first lap, they were there so, so fast. And I think that was a brilliant organisational situation, again, that Formula One showed that it's very, very strong on. But brilliant, he's walked away from it. OK, it's in the latter part of, of his career. It was in his latter part of his career. But uh, it's brilliant, he's walked away. OK, he's got those sort of little burns on his hands. But he's a... He's a strong character, Roman. He's been involved with a few incidents over the years. He's uh, improved upon that as time has gone by. And I think he was probably the right character to go through something like that, because I think when we saw the pictures of him in the back of the medical car, there was a little smile on his face. There wasn't any worry or, or shock in many respects of what, he, what he'd just gone through. And that's where I think racing drivers and I always say the motorbike drivers the Grand Prix sorry the Grand Prix riders or the TT guys in the Isle of Man 
they are wired in a, in a such a different way that they know that risk is there. They know they're willing to take that risk. And when it does happen, which is a thankfully a very rare thing, they're able to deal with it because they know that that risk is there. And I think Roman is that type of character that for sure uh, will get over it very, very quickly. And do you have to be that type of person to, to race in Formula One or indeed any motorsport category? Yeah, I, I, I think you do. I think everybody's wired in a slightly different way. And I always remember when this halo came along, I remember Daniel Ricciardo mentioning about, well, if it saves one life in 10 years, then it's going to be worth doing. And he was absolutely right. And that was the prime example. I know we've had a few little sort of closer shades, but that really did show the strength of these modern day Formula One cars. So Daniel was absolutely right at the end of the day. Yeah, they were a little bit shocked, I think, the drivers, and as, as you would be, um, seeing all those sort of replays of the, of, the, of the accident. And I know Daniel was one of those who wasn't very happy with that. But I think knowing that we saw the pictures of Roman in the back of the car, for me, it would have been something, well, I know he's okay, and I know that what I'm sitting in as a, as a monocoque, you know, is going to be able to save me if I get in that situation again. So I always sort of think about, well, if I've seen a incident like, like we saw there and then someone walks away from it, I think it gives you a good feeling that you know that you're in a safe, safe environment, but you've just got to be very aware that it, it could happen to you. And that's something that it will happen down the line, I'm sure. Hopefully it will be a long, long time before it happens again. But there is always that chance. That's interesting. So you actually think showing the repays of him emerging will boost the confidence of the other drivers because they'll be heartened by just how uh, robust the safety measures and, and the reaction from the medical car was. Yeah, from my side, yes, because that, that gives you a massive, you know, feeling inside of, of a positive thing of that, you know, everything is being done. From, from the teams designing the cars to the FIA who sort of implement all the rules and the regulations for it. And of course, then the marshals and then the medical team at the same time. We're all there to do exactly the same thing, which is to look after each other. And I think that just showed once again that uh, it works in a, in a very efficient way. Now, you say that races are wired differently. Um, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> but when you reflect on that near fatal crash you had back in 88 in yeah. 3000 when the heroics now that the heroics have, have calmed down and the the media noise has quietened what does roman need to do psychologically physically to get himself into a, a great place because obviously he doesn't want to end his career with that crash he wanted to come back yeah. Abu Dhabi. That was obviously unrealistic in, in the circumstances, but he does want to race again. What does he need to do? What did you do? Well, for me, it was slightly different because I hadn't got to Formula One. I was right on that sort of edge. I had a contract with Benetton, which hadn't been signed at the, at the time I had my crash at Brands Hatch. But I, but I was always driven because I had that chance. So the accident happened. I had a lot of people talking to me, Enzo Ferrari, Frank Williams, uh, Peter War from Lotus and of course Benetton and Peter Collins um, so I felt in a very very good good place but of course once that accident happened all those communications I were having with people except with Benetton thankfully with Peter Collins stopped and I, they never ever came back um, because I was damaged goods 
in many, many people's eyes, which when I look back, yes, I was. You know, would I have had that chance that I had back in 1989 now? Not a chance on earth, not a chance, because everybody's got to be the perfect, the perfect physical being to put in the car to get the best from them. I was never, as, as far as I'm concerned, never as good as I was before the accident. I was still good enough to do the job that I was able to do. But is that is that enough for the teams? Well, there's always going to be then that question mark. And that was something I was always battling battling from because I think having the damage to my to my ankles and to, and, to, and to my feet that was always something I was having to to prove but I was given that chance by Benetton and Peter Collins to to get to my first race in Brazil finish fourth which everybody was like wow but that helped my career because everybody was just utterly in disbelief that I was able to 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 be able to achieve that but the mental side, I remember being in, in a wheelchair. My legs were still out, uh, straight out. Uh, I had still bandages on mainly on my left, my left ankle. And then I got a phone call. And that was when Benetton, Peter Collins, took up the option uh, for me to race in a Formula One car for the 1989 season. Now, that one moment made this go... Now I've got to work out. Now I know it's for real. And then I was able to sort of work very, very hard physically to get myself, you know, in the best possible place for that, for that race in Rio. You know, I, I wasn't really able to walk properly when I got to that first race in Brazil, but it was all about what I did in the cockpit itself. And as I said, I finished fourth, so it was absolutely brilliant. But I had something to aim at. And that's where the brain then becomes very, very powerful. For Roman, if he wants to carry on, maybe in Formula One, but let's say in, in maybe in sports cars, Le Mans, for example, if he's got that desire, I think that's where me mentally you can actually overcome that sort of, you know, shock to the system that he had in, in Bahrain. And then you're able to sort of put it away. Because this is what I always did. I think I always did. I always put the incident and the injury and the challenge I had to get myself back into a Formula One car in a little box in the back of my mind. And I basically locked the key and threw it away. Because that had happened, I was still, as I am now, I'm able to walk around and do my normal grocery shopping and everything else. So I was okay but that was giving me the drive because I still had that chance to prove, you know, that I had that ability or talent to try and win races, which I was very lucky to do and win those three. Um, so it's, it's really down to how you're able to block out what's happened in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, like with Roman, you know, seeing, you know, when he's getting out of the car, for me, I sort of don't remember so much about what happened after the accident, at all but he's going to see all that panic when he's in the car when he's trying to get out but his foot was stuck in the monocoque he's trying to find a gap that he can get out of this flames in front of his eyes if, if he can block that out then he'd be okay and I said I think he's the right character to to be able to do that and I think the other guy I think was able to do it in a very similar way was probably Alex Zanardi when he lost his legs in in that horrible crash in Germany in, in, uh, in uh, Chankar. He's, it's surprisingly, being as an Italian, you thought he'd be all emotional about it. He wasn't. He just accepted 
it was what it was, but I still have a, a, a chance to maybe do a bit of racing again, which is what he did and won, won a, a GT race. But of course, then he did his, uh, you know, Olympic cycling stuff that he did as well. So it's really down to how you deal with that situation that is there in front of you. If you accept it and, you know, I'm still OK, I think you're, you're able to deal with it in a much better way. That's how I did, I did anyway. But Johnny, is there anything to, to be said for um, that blocking it out, compartmentalizing, if you like, is unhealthy? Because one thing I really noticed about Roman is how keen he was to talk about it. I mean, yeah. he talked and talked and talked. <laughs> and he did a very long interview with Martin. And um, it felt like that was part of his therapy almost. <laughs> I mean, did you have some pretty dark days before that call came? Because that did give you the target, as you say. You must have felt before that that you were kind of free falling and that everything that you'd worked towards your whole life was suddenly over in, in, in a moment. And all this talent that you had was potentially going to be squandered. Yeah, but in my head, I was still believing that I could still drive a car. I remember when I was in hospital, my, my left ankle wasn't moving at all. And then when it moved for the first millimetre that sort of started to go my way, I remember Peter Collins phoning me up and I said, it's moving, it's moving. My left foot started to move. And it only moved about another nine millimetres after that. I've only got about 10 millimetres movement now. But I always had this feeling that I would drive a car again I, I never knew it was going to be Formula One but I still had Peter Collins phoning, phoning me up nearly every day but definitely every every single week so that that was something that kept me going but if you take away Peter and take away the Benetton sort of option that I had I was still driven to get back in a car because I I had I had two choices I suppose one was to go away from racing, do rehab, then come back, then start racing again, and then try and prove yourself. Or you work as hard as you possibly can in those three or four months that I had before that first race in, in, in Rio and give it a go. And if you give it a go and, it, and you succeed, which thankfully I, I was able to do, then it's worthwhile. But if it didn't work, at least I tried. So the, the options were sort of very very limited, the two. And the first one I chose was the right choice because I think you've just got to push yourself. And it's amazing what the, what the body can do, what mentally you can, you can do as well to push yourself through it because the, the rehab was very hard because I went to Austria and I used to climb up this mountain in the middle of a forest. And it, and it I mean, hurt. I can't really explain how much it hurt, but it, it was making me cry when I was going about this 100 metres up this up this. 10% incline, but I had to go up, then I had to come back down again, then I'd have to go back up again, then I come down. We did about 10 times, I think. And it was the most painful thing that I've I've ever experienced. But I knew there was there was a direction that I was aiming at on four. So I knew I had to go through that. Like it wasn't never ever going to go away. And I only had, I was very lucky, I only had one day a month where I was just totally burnt out by it mentally, more mental and physical, just burnt out because I just couldn't go through another minute of, of the agony that I was going through. I woke up in the morning and there I was running up that, well, not running up that hill, but going up that hill in, in the morning. And then for that next month until the, the next day came along where I went down again, um, but, it, but I got through it because I always had this 
strange belief that I would still be able to to achieve it. So again, it always proves again that never give up. And how much did it bolster you and strengthen you knowing that Peter Collins shared that belief? What was it he saw in you that the others clearly knew you were talented, but fell away? They obviously didn't see the tenacity that he did in you. Yeah, well, I can't really answer that really, because obviously that was somehow Peter had this belief that I would be able to sort of walk to a to a Formula One car in Rio and actually then jump in it and then actually do the the, the job that he believed I was able to do before before I had the accident. That, that was just, that one is a, is a strange one because as I said everybody else that I was talking to at that point just disappeared off the face of the earth and I understand why they disappeared but why Peter had this belief I, I really don't know. Thank goodness he did. He did have that belief because it, it massively helped me in that mental side that we, we, you know, we've discussed. And I think that was such an important part for, for me. For Peter, in many respects, it probably hurt him. Not, not, not in a personal way, but because I think Formula One and Benetton, and this is when Flavio Briatore came into, into Formula One for the first time, he got, he got kicked out. And he got kicked out because obviously he had supported me. Things had started to go a little bit sort of south after that first race I had in Rio. Um, and then he got into uh, Lotus uh, in 1991 with Mika Hakkinen and Julian Bailey. And then I joined Mika for the, for, for the next two seasons when we were together with Mika. Um, and then at the end of 94, I think it was, everything sort of went a little bit south. And then that was the last time we saw Peter in, in Formula One. So he sort of went from the big, this big team that he'd been involved with for a, a good few years to running Lotus for about uh, four, three, four years. And then obviously then it all coming to an end. So there was a big sacrifice that, that Peter did as well, sticking with me. But of course, then I look at Rio and I go, well, it was, it was worth it. And it was a brilliant a brilliant story uh, as well that he stuck with me and then I was able to do the job but if but the rest of the season and I only did another six races before I was I was moved aside you know I wasn't I wasn't in the right frame of mind I wasn't in the right physical probably more importantly than the, 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 the right physical way because I wasn't able to do the job and push that brake pedal uh, as hard as uh, as hard as a, a normal person could and I always struggled because of that so if I hadn't done it as I as I was as I discussed before I wouldn't have had a career in Formula One so because I, I had that one race in Rio it sort of kept my my career alive. Is there any part of you that felt any resentment or bitterness towards those who didn't believe in you to the same extent as Peter? Um I suppose I just, again, I was in my own little world. So I was always doing everything I possibly could to give myself sort of that chance. So although I didn't hear from Frank or Enzo, and probably Enzo died at the end of that year, uh, 89, um, I, the, the conversations didn't really hamper me personally because I had Peter Collins and I had Benetton and I had a seat. So I didn't have to worry about them. The only thing I felt when I was racing from probably 91 to the end of my career in 2000, I always felt I was having to prove myself. That was the only mental battle I had with, with maybe the, the paddock is I think there was always a question mark over what 
damage had been done to my feet and what that damage was creating when I was in the car itself, which was obviously maybe a little lack of speed. So I think I was always trying to tell everybody else that actually I'm, I'm better than you think. But probably I look back on my career and then probably the middle latter part of my career, the sensitivity that I needed when we had these groove tyres that came into Formula One and the way that the aerodynamics uh, started to change. They, become a, they became a lot more sensitive, I think, with uh, the, the, the downforce and the way that the downforce was created on the car. So it was always a very, very sharp front end. And you needed that ability to feel it all through the tips of your toes on, on the pedals. And I lacked that. So I think I suffered a little bit more in the latter part. But at the time, I was still battling that. I was still thinking I could overcome that. Mm. And this is where I look back and say, well, you never were going to overcome it. But, but because of that, that gave me that drive to carry on uh, and give myself the best chance that I possibly could, which ended up me winning my last race in 99 for Stuart, for example. So it was, it was worth, worth, worth doing it for sure. But as I said, if I look back now, it never was going to be as good as it was before because it wasn't anywhere near as natural um, to drive a car, any car uh, than it was before that. But as I said, you just got to keep pushing yourself to the limits. And that's probably no different to someone who, who gets into Formula One nowadays, maybe in a bad car, like George Russell, for example. You know, he's in a, he's in a, a difficult car. Um, he does a good job in it. And we all sort of go, yeah, he looks as if he's got the talent that's needed. Of course, then when he gets that chance, like we saw in Bahrain, it just proves that because he keeps on working, because he's mentally sort of, keeping himself in a, in a good place when he gets that chance he's able to do the job so it, there's similarities slightly different because I've got I've got a physical physical yeah. situation but it's the mental side that is I find still very very interesting in how these guys deal with the modern world of Formula One because it's not like when I started right with the damage that I got I was news because I was obviously a a guy getting into a Formula One car for the first time damaged goods as I always say it but there was only, I think, the BBC. There was a couple of other sort of TV stations, uh, Globo, I remember. I think there was the Italians, obviously, Rye, I think it was. So you had the, the British press. You had some of the other press from other countries, and that was it. Now, with social media and there's more TV, there's more, more, more uh, journalists there because of the way it is, with obviously, with the internet. So there's a lot more going on and a lot more rumors a lot more information being spread around in a very very speedy way which didn't happen in my day so they have to deal with a lot of different different pressures I think but I think some of them like Sebastian who doesn't do social media doesn't do it because he doesn't want to want to hear and listen to it so I think that's what he does because Lando loves it yeah. and it so works for him yeah. Yeah. Performance is everything, and Esso have created a fuel that looks forward and takes care of the past. Esso Synergy Supreme is a new 99-octane fuel that complements elite engine performance with modern classic cars. It reduces knock-related performance loss whilst keeping the engines firing on all cylinders. Whilst it must be said that the zero ethanol range is not currently available in Scotland, Teesside and Cornwall, Esso Synergy Supreme is perfect for your more traditional classic cars, which need these lower ethanol levels. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, my brother, Samuel Pinkham. How are you? I'm very well, Pinky. How are you? I'm great. Now, listen, I'm really excited by your new project, The Card Crowd. Just tell me, in a sentence, what it is. When you're in a pub and some bloke walks in and goes, yeah, see that 9-11 outside? I bought that for 40 grand. It's now worth 80 grand. And you go, oh, I'm on a piece of that, but I haven't got 40 grand to buy the car with in the first place. We club together the car crowd, we club together, create a crowd and buy the cars together. And then whenever you want, you can sell your shares and hopefully the value of the car has rocketed because we know everything about cars. We know what car is going to go up in value and they're the ones we buy with a team, a team called the car crowd. Tell me, Sam, why fuel matters so much to classic cars. Well, fuel matters to everything, whether you're a human being or a motorbike or a plane or a boat or a classic car. Fuel is everything. What you put in is what you get out. Classic cars and modern classic cars love high octane fuel with very low ethanol counts. But modern fuel companies have introduced ethanol because it's green, which is a good thing, and it saves them money, which is also a good thing. But classic cars don't like it because unburnt fuel remains in the pipes and in the carburettors and starts to rot them. Luckily, Esso have a zero ethanol fuel, which is called Synergy Supreme Plus, which is high in octane and contains zero ethanol, which is perfect for classic cars. And presumably what that means is a longer life for these classic cars, so a better investment for those who are buying shares in the car crowd cars. Exactly that. We've got a 500 SL Mercedes, which is 20 years old. And the first thing I thought before I got my hands on it was, how am I going to fuel this in 20 years' time? Because it won't like modern fuels. Um, and through, through fuels like this, Synergy Supreme Plus, it means I can run it for ever and hand it over to my kiddies. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. And listen, what's the best place for me to spend 20 quid right now on a classic car? Because that's all it needs. 20 quid? 20 can, quid. I, can I buy a share for 20 quid? 
Yeah, you can buy you can buy a Chef twenty quid. We've got a Peugeot two hundred five one point six GTI, which is what I dreamt of when I was eighteen years old. It's a beautiful car. It's already worth eighteen thousand quid. It was eight thousand quid when it was brand new. It's worth eighteen grand now. Natalie, you can buy one share in that Peugeot two hundred five one point six GTI right now. Well, there you go. That's your Christmas present to me sorted. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. The car crowd were on the lookout for a zero ethanol fuel and now swear by SO Synergy Supreme Plus, the high octane fuel with zero ethanol that with help from its specific additives keeps your engine clean and helps moving parts work more efficiently. So just like how my brother is protecting his classic investment cars, you too can unlock an extra level in your engine with the new 99 octane fuel. I should point out that SO zero ethanol range is not currently available in Scotland, Teesside and Cornwall. SO fuels are always forward thinking whilst looking after the cars of the past. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk about um, there just being this need to constantly prove yourself. And I guess um, the person you're probably keenest to prove yourself to was yourself, because there was probably a nagging feeling that you knew physically that um, this was going to be a massive uphill struggle um and it makes me think of Robert Kubica actually yeah. you know when you think about the talent that he had before and the fact that he hasn't been able to fully realize that after I know it's really hard to say but particularly for young listeners um what was your talent why were so many people interested what could you have done and I know it's you know it's kind of a a pointless question in many ways and actually your modesty will probably prevent you from telling me the truth but um, what what do you think you were capable of achieving? Uh, modestly, you're right there, Natalie. Uh, eight times world champion. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, no, it would have been... You were, you were quick, though, weren't you? I mean, no, listen, I you talk to anyone up and down the paddock, they go, yeah. you need to know just how quick this, this boy was. Yeah. And obviously, it, it was the, well the only, time. The only time. The only way I can look at what, I remember, and it's interesting you bring up Robert, because I think Robert's very, very similar to me, is really what you see with someone like Lewis or Charles or Max, for example. It's so easy for those guys. They don't have to think about it. It just happens. If they know need to go a little bit quicker, they have this ability to just find a tenth or two because they have this beautiful touch on the brake pedal, on the throttle pedal, the way they, the application going on and coming off to the actually uh, the steering is, is turned as well. It's very smooth, but all the application of everything that's going on just becomes one. There's no sort of little bits sticking out and it's all a little bit disjointed. They don't have that, uh, that, that weakness, let's say, where you see others that will be or can be quick and then it suddenly sort of disappears for a, for a couple of races and then it sort of comes back again. And that's where those guys are, are special. And that's what I remember. And I think that's what Robert remembered. He remembered this ease of driving. He remembered of the, of the feelings that he was getting. And this is, this is what I got, which I think Robert probably has as well. I don't, I accepted it. I'm not sure Robert probably has it this, this present, this present time, which I, totally totally understand is can you do the same skill when you're in the cockpit now than you did before 
and you can't you try as hard as you possibly can to sort of get there because you've got all those feelings there that you remember because they're ingrained in this mm. but then it goes from here down to your your feet and maybe through your your fingers as well of how you did that turn how you you did the the brake pedals and it's interesting because obviously with with Robert it's obviously through his hand that he's got the the issue mine was with my feet so mine was the pedal issue his was the steering issue as well maybe changing the the dials on the steering wheel as well but you still think you can do it. You still push yourself to be able to do that. Then you get frustrated that you can't do what you was able to do before. But that's that ability, I think, mentally for you to sort of maybe accept it a little bit earlier, which I think I knew, I knew it wasn't the same. I still, like I said before, felt I was having to prove myself. But I think that enabled me to get in maybe in a better consistent um, place when I was in the car itself. With Robert, it's a bit more difficult because I think is the, the Williams, unfortunately, is, wasn't the best, the best car. But of course, he was up against George as well. And George did, you know, a brilliant job um, in that Williams when they were together. So for, 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 for a driver that's sort of trying to get something extra, and that's why I mentioned it earlier on, everything's got to be perfect. You know, even these guys who go through a, through a cold, it affects their performance. You know, Lewis had his COVID in, in, uh, in Bahrain. I think it affected, it affected him massively when he got back into the car in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Abu Dhabi. So it just shows of how everything's got to be absolutely perfect, like the cars, like the engineers and how they do all their strategy and how they do the setups of the car. The drivers have got to be in, you know, exactly that sweet spot every time he gets in it so i guess it's about being honest with yourself when it becomes yeah when it goes from being effortless to hard work you've got you to, to think about it. it's thinking yeah. about it that is different right. where as i said people know what i remember and what i see with lewis mack and charles for example max and charles um it, it, it just sort of it's in front of them and i always say it's almost like there's a 180 degree sort of vision that they've got and the information that's sort of coming towards them from the, the way the track is, is something they compute so, so quickly. And, I, and I, I remember asking Lewis, I can't remember if I've said to you this before, I remember asking Lewis about going into Cops Corner when I was doing a, a track walk many years ago for Sky with Damon. And we, I asked him, you know, what, you know what, do you, what do you look at when you go into Cops? And he went, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I look at. And that is the special bit because they don't know. And I remember that, that it was all this vision that I got. And I didn't have to look at a dark patch or a piece of grass or a sign. It was just the vision and the speed that the corner came to my eyes. And then this, this computer in my head analyzed it so, so quickly. And then I just sort of turned the wheel and did the throttle, you know, without even thinking about it. So that's that little special thing that the, I think the special ones have, and not every single guy on the grid has it, I, I believe. There are just those few that have something extra mm -hmm. and are always able to sort of draw out that little bit more time. And I think that's, that I find massively interesting because they're the rare ones and it's just trying to work it out. And in, in all my career I had in Formula One, just for example, very quickly, was the feeling I had before my accident was this sort of natural ease of driving 
I had it in one race in Malaysia in 1999. I had those feelings back. I have no idea why. I, I am frustrated when I look back at that race and say, why was it just one in 160 or so races that I had that it all came back? I don't know. It's all in this. But somehow everything, those feelings were like they were before. But the ability to get it in every single race wasn't possible. And as I said, one time it came. But these guys, Lewis, Max, Charles, for example, have it every time they get in the car. Senna, Prost, Mansell. Damon, Mika, Michael, they're the special ones. That's amazing that it came back for one race. I wonder yeah. if something had happened. Frustrated. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazing. If you could have bottled that, it would have changed everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if I knew how to bottle it, I'd sell it. <laughs> I'd do rather well out of it. But that's the interesting thing, is a lot of the physical side of it is such a big thing driving these cars you know it's not as i said before it's not when you go to silverstone and they do a, a you know your um uh track days that you get and they put cones out that, that's not real that's not what it's all about you don't you don't look at anything on the track at all it's it's this 180 view that you've got that's how you do it from everything that you've said and for those listening that, you know, many, many will be struggling this year, particularly um, with mental health issues, but also various challenges from work and, and physical and family and, you know, home life. Yeah. It feels as if the thing that kind of got you through all of this were setting yourself goals, kind of almost like bookmarking your life and being able to, you know, come to the end of that chapter and accept that it was one chapter closing, another opening. Um, what advice would you give anyone listening that's perhaps struggling at the moment from everything that you've been through? You've, you've clearly had amazing support network. I want to talk a bit about your family and the impact it had on them as well, but uh, your wife particularly. But yeah, what, what kind of little gems do you think you can share for anyone struggling, particularly with mental health issues at the moment? Yeah, well, I, th I think the one thing I've, I've always said, and I said it earlier on, is about never give up. Um, I think the other thing is, if you find something to focus on and you, and you work towards making that decision um, work for you, you know, if that's just even looking for, uh, you know, a, getting, into, getting yourself back into, into work, for example, if you do everything in your power to pester people, to work at trying to get your name out there, that is something that's very important. And I know when you're struggling with motivation to get out of bed to actually be able to sort of do that type of work, it's very, very hard. But it, it can be done. It can be done. It can be done because I think there are so, so many opportunities out there in the world that you can achieve these if you have that ability and, and belief in yourself in many respects and have that belief in yourself because we're all, we're all built the same. We've all got the same sort of brains that work in a very similar way. Some, you know, it's a bit more complicated with, with, with me. You know, I've got sort of a little bit of dyslexia, but you can't just sort of say, well, that's, that's it. I can't do anything because I've got dyslexia. You've got to find a way around, around that. And I think that's what it is. Even when I'm driving 
driving in Formula One or driving at Le Mans or driving even a British touring car, which I did for a couple of races, there's always going to be challenges. And those challenges, you've got to try and find a way around the issue that you've got to be able to then sort of eventually benefit. So I think it's just believe in yourself and, and never give up and always believe that there is a chance because there is a chance. There are so many, many chances out there, I think, for anybody to do whatever they want. Yeah, there's always opportunity, isn't there? Always opportunities. I yeah. guess, I guess one some... doesn't come, there will be another one around the corner. Mm. And how much of an impact did all of this have on your private life, your personal life, your family, your wife, and then ultimately you you, you went on to have two gorgeous girls? Yeah. How hard was it for them? Um, well, I suppose early on it was with the girlfriend or the wife, wife now, Rebecca. Um, but she was very very supportive. So I was very fortunate to have someone like her about because I think that helped me be in a better mental position because that support mechanism was sort of was sort of there because I could just turn and there she'd be and I could actually have a chat with her about, you know, my situation. Like that one day I had where I was so, so down and she was able to help me sort of get out of that. So so that was that was a good thing, a very, very good thing. I suppose the only thing I get, and I do get it from my daughters now, they're sort of in 30, 28, I think they are now, and they still give me jip because they still, my youngest, Amelia, she still says to me about when they were at school and when they were, so obviously when they were home and they were being sort of, you know, taught about maths and English by, by, by Rebecca. Um, I was never there. <laughs> But in some ways, I think it was it was hard for them, but they'd grown up with me not being there. That I think there was an acceptance of that was the norm back then. She gives me, as I said, she gives me a bit of jip, jip now. Actually, they both give me a bit of jip about that that time. Does that bother you? Like now, because I know you're a very committed family man. Do, do you have yeah. any regret about not being more present for them as they grew up? I was as present as much as I could be, and I was doing a job that I loved, but it was a job that was benefiting them, them as well. So, you know, there was, there were sacrifices both sides, but I think it was, I, I personally think it was easier for them because I just thought that was normal. I'd sort of pop in, we'd do our little bit together as a family, and then I'd sort of go away for a, a week, then I'd pop in again, then I'd go away again. That's just what they grew up from the day they were, they were both born. So thankfully that sort of helped very well. And of course then Rebecca was very good looking after them as well because she accepted that that was part of her life me not sort of being around all the time so she had to work bless her doubly hard to be able to sort of get through it but it kept us close it kept us together and it was it, it all worked still is today we're still together now 30 years uh, just just gone by which is lovely married um and we still get on brilliantly well and the girls as well the same thing you know we have great banter with each other I've got one in New Zealand at the moment so it's a bit more difficult with her but it, it's the, the sacrifices were, were more than worth it because they've come out of the the other side very good and I've got that time now I've got a granddaughter as you know she's 15 months now so now I'm enjoying that and I've got the freedom to sort of be around a lot more with with, with that side okay this COVID situation hasn't helped that but generally it's it's been a nice situation to see them growing up you know turning into women as they did and then obviously grandkids coming along so it's 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 lovely um but at the time you know the main thing as as Rebecca always keeps telling me was was racing 
and racing was was everything to me. So I was I was very lucky to have that chance. The world continues to evolve, and the new norm isn't fully clear yet. But what does remain constant is the core message from our friends at Bose. Stay calm, stay centred and stay connected. Communication is key in everything we do and goes a long way to nurturing both ourselves and our relationships with others. So continue to talk about what matters to you. And don't be afraid to block out unhelpful noise or indeed to embrace silence because doing both can be great. Some of the ways we work will have changed forever. Embrace that. Make those new ways work for you. Shape the new norm to suit you. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. And then, of course, you you know, after the racing was over, you went into broadcasting. Why did you decide to do that? It was something I always thought, I suppose, I've, I've got the experience. I, I know, you know, what what happens when these guys are in the cockpit. I know how these guys think. I know when they're not quite telling the truth uh, at the same time. Um, and I always thought it'd be something I'd probably, I think I'd enjoy. Um, and then that chance came along uh, when we did the first year in China. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was just, you know, it's been great working with you and Ted and everybody else and Simon. I can go through the whole list. There's a lot of us, but everybody within the team. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. You know, we all bring different, different um, experiences from, from our days in the, in the cockpit um, and experiences that we've got, like yourself, from the, from the other side of the media looking into it. But then it's sort of understanding and the harmony works really really well and I think you know it's like a well old machine uh is uh, is the sky team and it, it it's something that as you know Natalie it's, it's just very enjoyable because there's so many different elements to to Formula One it's not just about the guys in the car driving the cars it's everything else that happens outside it to the F1 show which we haven't been able to do but the F1 show is something different getting the drivers on the stage and having a chat with them in a very different environment and that's something I enjoy as well because when you get them in the racing mode they're very very hard work but you get them outside the racing mode and then you have that ability to have a really nice sort of relaxed chat and they enjoy it as well I think. Yeah and it's important I think to reveal more of their personality because I think that's something Drive to Survive has done very well is shown us what makes these people tick and you want to know you know you talked about it at the very beginning of this podcast that you are wired differently and for laymen for just mere mortals like us we want to understand how can he do what he does yeah yeah, yeah. but but the lovely thing is but the lovely thing as well natalie is this this new generation yeah they are so refreshing even from what i remember of of fun guys back in my day. Again, I knew James Hunt, but that was obviously after his his racing career. Sadly, died too young. Yeah, he Just was a back. big fan of yours, wasn't he? Yeah, James. Yeah, he was very supportive. But he was supportive of everybody. I remember when we were at Lotus. I was at Lotus with Mika. He'd help us both, and he would always come up with some sort of nuggets that would sort of help us in uh, in a qualifying situation. I always remember one of those, which was I think I mentioned quite a few times, is 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 qualifying in Monaco. And he always said, it's down to you and your engineer to find those gaps. 
no one else's no one else's problem it's your problem and you've got to be able to work it out now this is before the you know we had gps or that little map that all these teams and drivers have nowadays all we had was a car going past would roughly know the time that he'd be doing and then the gaps that were in between and trying to work out when a another driver or a team was going to send a car out and that's where James was very good on on that front and he always said the other thing which always got me as well was he always said you know you know driving a car that you know physically it is very very tough and he says sometimes it hurts like hell and it does it really gets very um tough to drive these cars and that just means you feel like you're going to give you you need to give up because you just you're not going to get through this race and he said don't you ever give up because if you slow down, it doesn't get any easier. So just keep on pushing all the way. Just push yourself through that pain barrier and it'll be all worthwhile. So that was another thing that sort of, you know, James was very helpful with all drivers that, that he sort of, he came across. But with me, yeah, we had a, a lovely relationship, which was, which was really nice. And it's someone like, as I said, like James, with these young generation who have got a very laid back way about them, which is definitely what James had when it's, Slightly, slightly different in another way, I suppose, with everything else that went on with James. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll have to pay it forward. You'll have to mentor one of the, the young guns. I'm sure they'd take your advice. You've got plenty of it. Do you remember when we first met on the aeroplane? On an aeroplane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, the movie. And that yeah. movie that was... I can't remember the movie. What was the movie? You remember the movie? Well, I was watching a rom-com. Yeah. And <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to defend myself from the off here and explain. At your yes. altitude, I'm told, you get much more emotional. But something happened to me on that flight, and I don't know if it's because, you know, I was nervous about going to my first race in Australia or whatever it was, but you were sitting just across from me. Yeah. And I was watching a rom-com that wasn't even particularly, you know, traumatic to watch. <laughs> for some reason, I just lost it. I was sobbing uncontrollably. And I remember you leaning over and saying, um, hi, you know, I just um, noticed you're a bit upset. Um, can I help at all? I'm, I'm Johnny, by the way. <laughs> I know. I thought you was having a breakdown. Sobbing. Sobbing you Juno. Do you remember that film, Juno? I mean, it was like, my point is, is that, in that moment, you mean you must have thought I was an absolute nutter for a start. I was trying to explain to you there was nothing wrong. I was just watching a movie that yeah, was. Yeah, I know, I remember. But I remember thinking what a kind bloke you were. And kindness is so important in whatever you do in life. And you brought that to the sport by the bucket load. And I'm going to embarrass you for a minute in front of the <laughs> listeners because wherever I go with you, people stop you and you are so kind and you give people so much time and it's a bloody nightmare because I can't get from it's one nightmare. end of the paddock to the other without stopping about 15 times for you to talk I mean that is that is one blessing and there aren't many of COVID <laughs> is there's no one in the paddock anymore for you no. to talk to yeah it's much easier now yes <laughs> I know I can't I, believe I, the speed that I move up that, that paddock well, yeah <laughs> especially on your little scooter with your manky foot yeah. But honestly, Johnny, you are you are one of a kind. You are a truly special person. I'm so grateful that you are my colleague and my friend. And I'm really grateful for your time today as well. So thank you so much. That's yeah, brilliant, Natalie. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good time together. I think we're going to have many more years of that. And I think, you know, we've got 
you know, we've got so much to look forward to because this young generation I was talking about are so, so interesting. We need to sort of show them more to everybody out there watching uh, at the race weekend. But I think we can do that, Natalie. We can get the best out of them, that's for sure. So, no, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Johnny. What a great guy. What a lucky person I am to have him as a colleague and get to see him as regularly as I do. Um, he brings so much to our team and to the sport as a whole. So thank you for your time, Johnny. And I hope you and your family have a lovely Christmas together, albeit restricted by COVID. Uh, okay, loads more great guests on the way, including Johnny's partner in crime and our other Sky F1 colleague, Damon Hill, who I am delighted to be chatting with next on In The Pink. Now make sure that you get all your comments and thoughts to me. I love hearing from you. And you can be in with winning some goodies from Bose. All you need to do is tag in a couple of mates on my Instagram page and indeed on the In The Pink podcast Instagram page. And let us know who you want to hear from on this podcast. Add the hashtag Bose and those goodies could be coming your way. Thank you so much for your company throughout this year. And there's loads more great guests coming throughout the rest of this month and into 2021 so stick with us and we love your company and we will see you again very soon here on in the pink bye for now and merry christmas Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.